0: Welcome to Business Talk Sister Gawk, I'm Becca, and today's podcast episode topic is the opportunities and pitfalls of government contracting. And This is a series overall that I've been trying to do on understanding how to work with the government if you are a small business owner and wanting to do that. This episode, I'm going to try to run through as many other random little things as I can that I really think are important for you to know and think about before you start getting into government contracting, or even if you are doing it right now, because I think it's important to to kind of think about as you're uh, looking at opportunities. So in this session, I wanna talk a little bit about diversifying your business. So this is really important when it comes to government contracting, because a lot of times, some of these contracts are a year to two years long, and as you start getting in a groove sometimes you can think about okay maybe this is something i'll renew every year or whatever because they're always going to need this service or whatever i'm selling to them and yeah that can be great but you have to really think through is this sustainable because anytime you see something that's happening within your industry that could create legislation changes it could affect if there's going to be actually budget for what you're contracting on doing And honestly, it's a little unfortunate in some ways that businesses get so big that they say, well, then I'm just gonna employ a whole bunch of lobbyists to go and advocate to make sure they don't cut funding in this area so that my business can stay afloat. Or it's not necessarily lobbyists, but you like are part of an association that represents you to the government and all this stuff. And like, yeah, I get there's a time and a place for that. right? But at the same time, If it's like something that you're basing your whole business on, like this should not be your first resort anytime a budget's gonna get cut within legislation. You should be really thinking about making sure your entire business is not just about this one contract you have or this one industry, because it can be really dangerous, right? And you can do work with other businesses outside of just your work with the government. And I think it's it's healthy for you to think through as a business to make sure that you can stay afloat if you lose one contract. So I do think that if you're going to get into this industry working for the government, doing that kind of contracting, yes, I think that there's a lot of budgeting you have to do around making sure you have the resources and the knowledge base to be a part of that contracting process that costs a lot more than it would be to potentially send a proposal to another business client that you could be doing the same thing or whatever. So, I think you have to weigh it all into consideration and also crisis plan around what if you were to lose this contract that you got, okay? Then the next thing I would say is... When you're looking at pilot programs, so a lot of times when the government has a special pot of funding that they've gotten to try something out or whatever and they're testing to see can this work, is this going to be a sustainable way to help people in the future, we're trying to solve a problem, they'll say, we invite you to bid on a proposal for a pilot program. Now, pilot programs can be really beneficial to getting a service started. but in actuality, it also means that they're very risky because they're usually the first thing to get cut if they need to see something change in the budget. And so it's really important that if you're going to do a pilot program, you do your due diligence of tracking everything to make sure you can show your numbers and success stories. Because if you can't pull that together and say, this is what we did and this is the result from it, You're not providing yourself accountability and you're not also providing those people in the legislature that decided to create a little space for that budget, the resources they need to say, yeah, this was valuable and it's actually working. Now I personally do love this piece of it because there needs to be accountability quite honestly. There's some programs that people are running and they're literally running them just to pay their own salaries. And that's it. And that that should not be a program. <laughs> like if you're not actually providing something helpful to the people, why are your tax dollars going to it, right? And I do think it's important for you to think through as a business owner, to be ethically conscious of if your business ever is getting to that place right that's when you need to start coming back and saying no this isn't healthy we're just employing people to employ people we need to make sure that this is actually going to the right resources for meeting the right needs and making those proposals of saying we should change the way that this funding is being allocated and we should make sure that these caveats are there or this can be funneled to this area because that's the need we're seeing because as a small business owner if you're doing any kind of service-based work on caring for people and I, i use the homeless as like a great example social services whatever that is um everyone knows that their demographic area is different, and especially rural versus metro. And if you know something works really well in your community, why isn't it not being rolled out in other places? Is it replicatable, right? And sometimes it's not, because sometimes it's specifically that's what your local culture needs to be successful, and it's not something that's going to jive well in another culture. That's okay. But you need to know that stuff as a business owner to be able to say, this is why what we're doing is working. Because if you're really in it to make change and good in the world, you would want that information available so that your program can be replicatable. Now I understand some of you are thinking, what about my intellectual property? What about my trade secrets? And yeah, I agree with you. I totally do. But at the same time, some of the things you've discovered can be helpful to society, right? And I do think that it's only healthy and good to work with the government with that kind of mindset, or we create silos of information where we're not cross-sharing with one another and we're not making overall other organizations better with the research, with the development that we've done. Now. I'm just going to keep backing up to some of the contract language within the contracts that you might be looking at, especially if you're going to do any sort of education or whatever. You really have to be conscious of if there's stuff that you're using in your business for your stuff, it needs to be protected by you because some of the contracts will say, we want you to do this, this, and this, and also anything you create for us is ours and we can own it. So if that's in the contract, you need to be okay with that. And if it's something that you're saying, no, this is my intellectual property and I don't wanna share that, then you need to make sure that that's not what you're using to fulfill the program. Because a lot of times, if you're a vendor and there's multiple of you doing the same work, there's these like policies in place so that you can go to another vendor and say, hey, you're doing this work too. Under your contract, anything you've created is for the state or for the federal. So can you share resources of what you have so I can start replicating them over here? So this little caveat in those contracts can actually be to your advantage if you want to get something started, but you really have to pay attention because if you're building something with government funding and it's in your contract that it's created for them, it's legally theirs. So be really careful about what you pay your employees to do, uh, with, that, with that contract money and what you're working on. Because if there's specific R&D stuff that you want, you got to have a different budget and you got to plan for it and do it a different way, okay? And I always try to tell people to pay attention to that. I don't think the government really pays much attention to this because I don't see people leveraging it a lot. But it is something that you should keep in the back of your mind because contracts are contracts and they're legally binding. So the next thing I would say, uh, there's, there's so much opportunity with understanding what a limited use vendor is, okay? This is so important for small business owners to understand because there's a lot of things when you get into it, you're like, oh, I wanna do that. And they say, okay, well, this is a certification process you need to go through and here's all the hoops. And it's like, oh my word, this is set up for a massive organization. I'm just one person, I don't, or one, one or two people, whatever it is, I'm not gonna meet all of these standards or I just don't have the capacity to do what they're saying I need to do. And that's okay because the states, a lot of them, have set up something called a limited use vendor, which means that you don't necessarily have to have all of those stringent certifications and um, processes in place that are required of a larger vendor. And so for the state of Minnesota, for example, you don't have to go through certain certification statuses if you are a limited use vendor. But that also means you can only do a certain dollar amount of work before you need to be approved through the certification process to take on more work. So through the state of Minnesota, for example, that limited use vendor threshold dollar amount is a contract under $200,000. And typically it's like you do $100,000 per year on like a two-year contract or something like that. Now this number can vary based on industry or contract type, all of that. So just know that the 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 number I just threw out there isn't necessarily true for each person or what you're trying to get done, okay? But it's it's helpful to know that this is the language they're using. Because if you're just trying to get into it and you're trying to figure out what do I need to be able to do business with the government, there's going to be different levels of that. And if you have the right verbiage, you can ask the right questions to know where's the threshold for your business right now where you're at. So. A lot of times the certifications, they don't actually take a ton out of you to do if you're small. If you're bigger, it's going to cost more time and all of that kind of stuff to get to a better place. So this is really common, say, if you want to start working with like the Department of Defense and contract to the military, whatever, on certain levels of industry all of that you're going to need certain security clearances or trainings done to make sure that people are aware of different things that's you're going to have to budget for that cuz you you those are not paid by the government to make sure you get them you have to make sure that you maintain those things you're going after them and they cost money and training time to do so Make sure that if that's what you want to go after, you're budgeting for it, and you're aware of all of the hoops you need to jump through to get to that place. And typically they'll also want you to get like independently audited by the certification process or whatever. So there's there's a lot of things there as you get bigger, but the big takeaway for you is limited use vendor. Always ask about that. <laughs> okay, so I did want in this episode, before I move on, to talk about working with the military because I really think that this is an opportunity that not a lot of people take into consideration. Now, unless it's the National Guard, which is by state, the rest of the military is federal. So you're not going to understand a lot about this unless you're looking at federal contracts. And there's usually a educational seminar or whatever that like the Navy will put on, the Army will put on, all of that. If you're like in advertising, this is a great thing to be paying attention to because all of those ads to join the Marines and all of that, they are not done by the military. <laughs> I remember when I was in college, uh, I asked like, hey, do you guys have an advertising department? And they're like, no, we contract all of that. <laughs> So that's a really good opportunity if it's something you're gifted at and want to do with your business. But they will have sessions on these things and say, literally your state might put it on and say how to work with the Navy. And you can ask all these questions. Now I've gone to a couple of these sessions and they're actually pretty exciting because you can learn about things maybe like I've asked questions about, well, what if you have a new technology? What is that look like, and they're like, well, you can go to this like research institute that we have and pitch your idea to them and say how that technology is going to be a good thing or whatever. So there's all of these ways you can approach the government to talk with them. Now, clearly, the military is very favorable towards people who are previous veterans, That's why we have that classification status and they want to be working with people who have knowledge and experience of their industry and a lot of times veterans are those people. Now I love going to these sessions because they give you little bits of information and each presenter has a different perspective on what's going on. For example, in one session I went to the Navy was talking about how anything under $20,000 is purchasable on a credit card so you need to make sure that you're listed in their inventory of vendors and what you offer because a lot of times their supply chain people will just pick up the phone and say i need to order this to someone that they've worked with before but typically it's through their vendor system and i think that this is huge okay this is so important because there are stipulations on trying to push them to purchase locally first so if you are near a military base with your business. You have an advantage to being picked for that military base as a vendor if you're listed in their procurement system. You have to be in there and you have to say, this is what I have as an offering, blah, 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 all that stuff that you would normally set up, right? But I think they have their own portal at certain places. And then they're required to search by locality first and then they go outwards. Yes, they have those same procurement percentages, all that kind of stuff, But that is built into the system to make sure that they can find people that they're spending locally with to encourage small businesses to stay local. And I think that that's something that nobody knows about for the most part. And it's so valuable to just be aware of how you can provide something you're probably already providing to your local area to a base in in your vicinity. And I mean, any hardware store should know about this because quite honestly, they need screws, bolts, all that kind of stuff all the time. And if you are the closest hardware store and you're set up in their system, they're going to find you. And that's a great opportunity. Plus, come on, your travel time to drop it off if you want to is really not that big of a deal if you're getting pretty big orders in. And can fill a lot of slow time in in a slow season. So I, yeah. Anyways, I'll move on. Another area that I wanted to think globally about that we don't really talk a lot about, and quite honestly, probably because people are upset that we're giving money to this (laughs) in some categories, but the U.S. Department of Aid. Have you ever gone to their website? Oh my goodness. It is worth the rabbit hole. So, okay, we have this aid department, and it's kind of like, you know, like, non-government organizations that are helping people like the Red Cross, um, Salvation Army nationally, internationally, whatever. If you want to go and do good in the world and you've got some killer technology or great processes that you know work and are great to solve problems, this is the place you should check out because they're looking to pay U.S. businesses to do this work. And quite honestly, when there's not a U.S. business to do this work, then other international businesses from other countries are bidding on these projects to do the work on the behalf of the United States. So some of this involves like water quality projects, making sure like we're digging wells and purification systems for maybe military bases internationally, or helping the military that are doing like U.S. aid work in in areas uh, that have experienced like war torn things or droughts, um, health issues, crises, all that kind of stuff. U.S. Department of Aid is like a gold mine of opportunity. <laughs> <laughs> and so I really think it's super cool to look there. They have their own portal of partners they work with or you can get set up in there and be listed as an organization. And actually about quarterly, they set out their priorities of what they're going to spend money on. And it's usually categorized by country. So if you're specifically like, man, I just really have a heart for this country, you can search by that. It's usually like an Excel spreadsheet that they'll send out and say, pretty soon we're going to have RFPs for this. And you can see what it is and then there will be like a contact person in there that you can get their name and email and ask them more about that as it's coming out. So. And, and then with that, like, I mean, there's huge, huge things that affect the world, like, fighting against sex trafficking and the prevention of AIDS and like all this stuff it's in there it's super super thrilling if you're somebody who just like gets jazzed about world relief efforts and trying to make a difference in the world that's a way a small business can do that and they actually have an opportunity too if you have something that's really cool or looking to try to um implement new new stuff. They have a section where you can actually contact them about unsolicited bids, where basically they're not looking for it yet, but they sure need it. You can contact them about that and pitch your idea or your solution. So that is, I mean, we, the federal government, puts so much money aside for that. And you should check it out because honestly, it's like billions of dollars. And why would we not want to do the work ourselves if We're going to try to support these other nations that need the help. So definitely, oh my goodness. It's like, I just realized how much more excited I was about the world when I realized that small businesses can bid on this. And yeah, so check it out. Okay, so the final thing I was going to talk about today for the gawk portion of this episode is about something that I just can't get over. Okay, so during World War II, Hershey was really good at getting government contracts and they made sure to put a little Hershey's chocolate bar in every MRE for the military in every meal pack you got you got all of your food and then you also got a little treat and it was a Hershey's bar can you imagine i'm sorry just this work with me here this is like your one coping thing besides maybe cigarettes that are in there or something of like joy (laughs) And you're just like almost training an entire generation of military that this is something that is good and it's something to comfort you in times of crisis. Like, what kind of psychological advantage does this business have on all of those World War II veterans? <laughs> I'm sorry, but like, mind-blowing. And, and actually, it's true. So if you look through the return home efforts and all of that, and like the Mars versus Hershey uh, market share rivalry and everything, it's true that like, nostalgia has incredible buying power and that's what happened with them after the war they kind of had this repeat by of a lot of retired veterans because that was something that they could identify with as something good and american and something that was just helpful to them in a time of need and what if that was your business right and i'm not saying to do it nefariously but like you could create such a brand following for good to say, yeah, this is something that screams home. And, and it is something that you can identify with for years to come. Wow, what a market opportunity. And, and I think that they've capitalized on that and they still are in a lot of ways. And I think that like, that's, that's a mindset shift that I think we need to make that there are these opportunities out there that the government is already purchasing things on so why are we not as small businesses going after these things now i get that yeah it's it's a little difficult to get into it because the paperwork is a mind suck but the reality is that there is opportunity here and we can be the people to offer those services to the government. And it doesn't always have to be one big business always getting the contracts. So take advantage of it and, and know that you have the same amount of opportunity because it's the same amount of work for everybody to get into it. And that's my encouragement to you. I hope you enjoyed this episode. You can give it a review on Spotify and I will see you next time.